Pittsburgh Steeler fans. My name is Brian Anthony Davis, the podcast producer of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Alongside me, as always, is our X's and O's guy. Yeah, the coach, KT Smith. Kevin, how are you, my friend? Uh, Brian, I was telling you before the show that uh, today is the, the end of our sort of April session of school. So I got I got a uh, 10 days off and I'm I couldn't be happier. It's a it's a very exciting time and I'm excited to do as little as possible. Well, you I know how hard you work. I know what you do. I know the dedication of those students. So I am looking forward to you having a great day off and not just one day, but 10 days off. So happy Easter, my friend, and happy spring break. Thank you. And uh, and happy anniversary to you. Listeners yes. out there, it is Brian's anniversary. That's exciting. Thanks. 15 years. She has not killed me in my sleep. So we're doing really well. I'm, I'm really excited about that. So and she claims to still like me. Oh, well, listen to that. Hey, my wife and I have a we have a handshake agreement that if it ever gets really bad between the two of us, we will not kill each other. So that's. <laughs> That's important, you know. Like, uh, was that in the vows? <laughs> I've got that one off the off the worry list, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, actually, she's a sweetheart, and I, seriously, I don't know how she puts up with my shenanigans and me just being me. And she loves the fact that I have behind the still curtain, and it is my fifteenth wedding anniversary, and I'm spending it with Kevin Smith. And as soon as I get off of this show. I'm going to be spending it with the YouTube audience and Jeff Hartman and Dave Schofield. So, <laughs> so she's, she's a good woman, Brian. She's so a good woman. That's the romantic evening that I have planned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Kevin. Um, thank you so much for saying that. I appreciate it. And it is a pleasure to be able to do these shows and it is a labor of love. And I will never say that it's a labor really, because it's, we are blessed to have the opportunity to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that blessing this week was even more tenfold because as difficult as it was to spend the last seven days, almost talking about the tragedy that was Dwayne Haskins, we had an opportunity to facilitate the healing on our end. And the more uh, I dreaded doing the shows all week long, Kevin, I, I did not want to do the shows. I was in a good bit of a funk as a lot of people were. And because this, this news came out of a, like a sucker punch, it just came out and we're like we're trying to pick up the pieces and it doesn't matter if it's the number one superstar on the roster, the 53rd man on the roster or somebody on the practice squad. It hurts equally when it's a member of your BTSC family, excuse me, of your Pittsburgh Steeler family, just like the BTSC family. If something happened to any of the 20 of us on the podcast platform, I would be just despondent for, for a long, long time. I, 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 and I hope I never have to deal with that because the players are a family and us watching it and living vicariously through them and pinning our fun and entertainment on their hopes and dreams in life and their profession. It's a, one of those things that kind of goes hand in hand. And 
as fans, we hurt when they hurt. We celebrate when they celebrate. And so it, it's it's been difficult. Now, you have not had a chance to talk about this yet. And we're encouraging every single podcaster to at least say something about it and uh, process it. I have said plenty about it over the last week. So I'm going to turn it over to you. And I know that you kind of heard the news late because you were coaching games and you were driving. And when you got on the, our Slack channel, I, I know it was completely shocking to you. So Kevin, what was your first reaction? It, it was shocking because I, I was just scrolling through Slack like on, I would on a normal day when everybody on there was talking about the business at hand. And, and then you read that and you actually had to back up and, and say like, wait, wait a minute. Did I, what am, did I miss something? What I didn't understand. It was because like, you know, you don't expect anything like that to happen. And, you know, this, this young man's 24 years old. He's got his whole life in front of him and you're never. And, and the thing that made it even more surreal is I remember asking myself, like, wait a minute. They're all, aren't they all down with Trubisky? They're all down training with Trubisky right now. Like I had to kind of double, t- like, like in my mind, I was kind of like, this has to be wrong because, you know, they, they, all these guys are together and it just, it just didn't make any sense. Um, and, and then once you sort of come to, to grips with it, then, you know, you sort of go through all the things that you were just talking about. You feel, you know, this, this sense of, you know, just this heavy weight on you just it just felt so so heavy like it's so unfair you know you just think you keep thinking about the the regardless of who Dwayne Haskins was as a as a football player it's so unfair that a 24 year old uh should have their life taken away and 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 that weighs on you and then you know I, I we all internalize things differently we all go to these different places um I've I've probably never made my peace with something that happened my very first year as a football coach, way back in 1992, I was 22 years old, right out of college, uh, got hired and came on staff with a bunch of older veteran coaches and, you know, really thought that I had to be kind of a tough guy to establish myself. And, um, you know, probably was a little harder on some of the players than I, than I, I needed to be maybe overcompensating for my youth and wanting to be taken seriously. And there was, we had a great kid on our team, a kid named Ron Moretti, uh, you know, whose dream was to go to the Air Force Academy. He wanted to fly fighter jets. Uh, his father was a very accomplished individual who came from a great family. Like, Ronnie, you, you couldn't have found a better 16-year-old kid than Ronnie Moretti, man. I mean, come down the hallway with a big smile on his face. Remember, he always had an apple in his hand, and he'd, you know, he'd offer me his apple. I mean, uh, and I was his position coach. And he was just a tough kid who, who would do every, anything you coached him to do. And I'll never forget, man, it's November 1992 and we're playing uh, a team, Vineland High School, who's got actually a, a running back named Isaiah Pacheco uh, in the draft and actually would be a guy I wouldn't mind if the Steelers took with a late round pick, but playing Vineland High School and um, and Ronnie, we're, you know, they're, they're beating us and it, we're going to lose the game as the fourth quarter and we're kind of frustrated and Ronnie screwed something up. I don't even really remember what it was exactly, but. When he came off the field, man, I just ripped him, ripped him unnecessarily. Um, and, you know, I'm, I felt bad about it afterwards. And uh, I just thought to myself, you know what? You know, the game was on a Saturday. And I said, when I see Ronnie on Monday, I'm going to apologize. Because I was, I was out of line. I was frustrated. I don't have to be like this. I can, you know, I can, I can communicate with kids in a different manner. Um, and this was on Saturday. And that night, that night, Ronnie Moretti was killed in a car accident. You know, and I mean, 
um, it, it, they, he was in a car with a bunch of his friends and they got hit by a drunk driver and he, and he lost his life at 16 years old. And it completely changed the way that I dealt with players, talked to my players, uh, relate, you know, it, it, it was a humbling experience and, uh, and, and such a tragic experience. I never really, I never really understood how immediate, you know, life is. And how much you have to appreciate your interactions with people and, and how, as a coach, you have such a responsibility to, to talk to young people the right way. And it, it completely changed the way that I approach coaching. Um, and I'm a better coach for it, no question about that. But I will always carry with me just this, maybe it's guilt, I don't know, but just this, this sense about me. Uh, the way that my last interaction with Ronnie, that it was so negative like that. And that was my fault. And then never got a chance to apologize to him. And so when I hear about something like Dwayne Haskins, I just think about how unresolved it all feels, you know, like it just feels like you didn't, you didn't get a, a, any kind of conclusion in any way, shape or form. And the unfairness of that is, is tough sometimes to, to deal with, you know, so it was, a, it was a heavy week, you know, I mean, we all, we all felt it in a different way. I mean, I thought about Ronnie a lot and, and, and all the players that I've coached over the years, you know, something like this happens. It makes you step back and reflect, you you reflect on your own life in, in many ways you know, and your own mortality and the things that you've done well in life and the things that you screwed up and, you know, you want to make amends for. So, so if there's any good that comes out of it, which, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to say there is, but I'm just saying if, if there's any good that comes out of it, it's just that we maybe, maybe we all get a little bit wiser, you know, because when we're confronted with something like this, it, it, it makes us ask ourselves some, some tough and honest questions. I know I approach things differently this week. Kevin, that is a heavy story. Thank you for sharing that with us. If I may interject and just let you know, um, I I understand you thought about him a lot this week. And if Ronnie was the tough kid, the a kid that's offering you his apple, then I'm sure that he understood completely. And and he was probably coming in on Monday to um, to uh, just go ahead and and uh, show you that he's capable of doing more. And uh, it, it's uh, it sounds like I'm sorry that he never had a chance to do that. And I'm sorry that you you held that with you for a long time. But I have a feeling that you had a very positive influence on this boy in a short little bit of time. So I just wanted to share that with you. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And we had a great relationship. We did. That's why I felt so bad because we had a great relationship. And and he was that kid. You're 100 percent right. He would have showed up on Monday morning with a big smile on his face and ready to go, you know, and let's get after it, coach, because that's who he was, man. He was that's the kid who was going to go to the Air Force Academy and, and do great things. Um, and so I am it, it is nice to really you know, understand that uh, that I'm probably the one who carries the burden, you know, whereas he was he was a 16 year old kid who when he went out bowling with his friends that night, you know, I'm sure he forgot everything that happened. They had a blast bowling. So, you know, it's nice to think of, of that, at least. So this is such a difficult conversation. We're going to be talking more about, we're going to, as we transfer over to the second half, we're going to talk about the draft a little bit, but I want to ask you this real quick because you know, firsthand what that locker room is like, you know, firsthand how it affected those players back in 1992 after this game what kind of heal how does the healing go in the locker room especially with with uh you know boys that young but when you think about it there's 
there's gentlemen that young in the a in the NFL. When I say that young, not too far away from being that young, being 22, 23, 24, we saw Chase Claypool, his reaction. He's a young guy. You know, you had Najee Harris down there working with him. Even you had a 27 year old that might carry the burden in Mitch Trubisky because he organized the whole event. I know they're going to have professionals working with them and, and being able to talk to them about this, but how does the healing start for these guys? Yeah, uh, you're right. They are, they're very young. And for many of them, uh, some of those guys may have dealt with, with tragedies like this in their life before, but, but I think, you know, the thing that they were really taken by when I, when I looked at Chase Claypool's reaction, he, he, he kind of just kept saying like, we were just together. I spent, I spent some of your last moments in life with you. And so the, uh, trying to make sense of the immediacy of it. How could, how could you be here with us one moment and then gone forever the next? How, how could that happen? When I think back to what happened after Ronnie died, we brought, up, we brought all the players in on a Sunday. We never bring them in on Sunday, but it happened Saturday night. We brought the whole team in on Sunday. And, and for the first half an hour, I don't think anybody said a word, coaches and players uh, together. Everybody just cried. They just cried in the locker room. And and then you had to make it a we had a, a game the next week. We had to make a decision about it. And um, we didn't practice the Monday. The, the Tuesday was his, his, uh, his funeral or his viewing. Um, we didn't practice on Wednesday. And on Thursday, the team took a vote. Do we want to play the game tomorrow? And uh, they voted to play it. And, and we went up to this uh, a pretty good program. We, uh, we hadn't practiced for all week. We, we drew some stuff up in the locker room and, went out there and played our, our butts off. And I, I kid you, you're going to think I'm making this up. I mean, people listening, you're going to think I'm making this up. But we're losing 28-26 uh, with about three seconds left. And we had the ball on about their 25-yard line or so. And it felt, you know, it was a little too far out to kick a field goal. Uh, and we had, a, we had a guard who was our kicker. He was an old-school toe kicker, 250-pound kid who was a toe kicker. And on the sideline, with about three seconds left, he said, I can make it. And we said, you know, what the heck, why, let's, let's take a shot rather than try and throw up some Hail Mary. And, uh, man, I, 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 mean, I kid you not, man, this little wind just kicked up right in those moments, man. This little wind kicked up, and this kid toe-kicked a 42-yard field goal uh, wow. on the last play of the game, and we won 29-28. I'll never forget that, man. And then wow. on a bus ride home, every, all the kids cried their eyes out on the bus ride home. Uh, you know, we won a football game, and they were crying their eyes out. So, I mean, it just it, it stays with you. And, you're, you know, 23-year-old guy like Claypool, 23-year-old guy like Najee Harris, uh, Mitch Trubisky, brand new to the to the team, and and trying to make a great first impression with his teammates and, and be a leader, and uh, and then all you know this this happens. I mean, those guys are gonna are gonna struggle. But you know what though, too, I, I think it's also an opportunity for people to come together in a really positive way. So I mean, it's it's a hell of a bonding experience. I mean, I know that that sounds almost inappropriate to say it that way, but the bond that will be created between Trubisky and some of these other guys as a result of this is is something that's hard to explain too but you know it's not about football it's about the human experience and that's the kind of bond that is going to be formed from this and so it's really interesting that you say that i'm going to ask you a question flat out as a coaching staff did you guys care if you won that game or not oh god no god no i mean if they had said if they had said we we, we don't want to play we would have canceled it in a heartbeat and, and never looked back uh but i'll tell you what uh, when we did win that game, especially in the fashion that we won it, 
it, it felt so appropriate and it, and it felt so just uh, like for those kids the, to, to cry on the way home was like, uh, you know, there was the initial grief of it all, the shock of it all. But then like the almost when you won that game in the way we wanted, it was kind of like the letting go where they were just like, you know, kind of they were going to let go of him. So, uh, yeah, you know. Well, once again, thank you for sharing that story. And one thing that we have been very careful with here at BehindTheSteelCurtain.com on the podcast platform is how we approach this. And, you know, Jeff Hartman said on Let's Ride on Wednesday, very good show, by the way. And he's like, the NFL stops for no one. And they do have to jump back and they have to start talking about the draft again. Not the players. The players don't right now. Um, if this was October, yeah, the players would have to jump right back into it, but it's the front office and the coaching staff. They have to get back into it. And it feels callous sometimes for me to say, okay, we're going to start talking about the team again, but that's what we're here for. And that's the best part of the healing that we can do about this, but we're open to talk about the tragedy and the loss of a fine young man in Dwayne Haskins. So uh, once again, rest in peace to Dwayne. So Kevin, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break and we're going to be back and we're going to talk about one of the most popular players in the draft every single year. And he is known by his initials B P a we'll be back right after this to talk about that fella on. Here we go. The Steelers show from behind the steel Welcome back to BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. His name, the gentleman that you're about to hear in 12 seconds, is Kevin Thatcher Smith. You could call him KT. I call him the coach. I call him my buddy. And it's great to talk to you every single week, Kevin. Thanks, Brian. You too. Two weeks. We're uh, This is Thursday night as we're recording. So we're two weeks Two weeks from tonight, round one. Yeah, I, I tell you what, this, this is something fantastic. And next week is kind of going to be weird because I, I don't even know how, I mean, two weeks from now is kind of going to be weird. I don't even know how we're going to approach this show. Um, we might be recording this after the first round. We, we might be doing a late record, Kevin. Uh, oh, let's, let's do it. Let's do be, it. Because this show, this show premieres every week at noon on Fridays. So we're not going to do any justice doing a show before the draft. Um, so we're going to, we're going to want to be up to date. So we're probably going to Kevin and I will probably be recording in the wee hours. You, you might need an extra large cup of coffee. I think on Friday, the 29th, my friend. Hey, uh, it's like, uh, I feel like an accountant on April 15th, you know, you gotta <laughs> just, uh, you gotta do what you gotta do to get through. Absolutely. So yeah, we, we, we haven't even discussed that, but when we're talking about the draft, Kevin, we talk about this gentleman every single year and how the Steelers need to look his way 
and it's the BPA best player available. When you hear those initials and you hear that term best player available, what are your thoughts? My first thought is it comes with a caveat. Uh, And the caveat is rarely is a team in a position to literally pick the best player available. Usually best player available means the best guy within a, within a range of position groups or a range of players that, that we like that fits our situation. So, I mean, obviously if, if we get to, if we get to, to pick number 20 and the best player available is a running back, which, which it's not, but I'm just saying hypothetically, the Steelers are not going to take that player. So, so you're, you're, you're kind of working in the, within the framework of what's on your board and your board's going to look different than a lot of other boards. Um, but, one more thought quickly uh, when you're in that position, when, when you really do have the ability to take the best player available, it means two things. It means one, you've done an excellent job in the, in the run up to the draft of addressing some of the needs that you had, which the Steelers certainly have this year. And two, it means that you've now got the opportunity to really think with a big picture about your franchise and about you know, what, what direction you want to go in and, and in terms of your schemes, I mean, you're not just sort of plugging a hole. You're sort of, you're sort of thinking beyond that uh, in, into sort of the broader view of the room, so to speak. And, and that's a, a nice luxury to have. You know, we're going to talk about some of the best players available that the Steelers have taken over the years. And there's going to be other years where they were desperate for a position and you kind of thought they were going to go for that position, and they did. And there are times when they were desperate for that certain position, and they didn't take that position because it was not working for them. They, a player at that position would have just been a guy that had those initials. And we've also had that happen as late as 2016 with the Artie Burns situation. We talk about Artie Burns so much on this network because that is that was when they were looking at getting William Jackson, the third at 25 and the Bengals swooped in and took him who was at the time, the fourth best corner on the board and Artie Burns was maybe the fifth or sixth and the Steelers took him with a first round pick. If Artie Burns is a second round pick, like we talk about Terrell Edmonds, if he was a second or third round pick, you kind of think a whole lot different about the progress of the player. But when you spend a first round pick on a guy, you need immediate gratification, or at least in the second year, you need to know that you are on the right course or the B word comes out and it's called bust. So when we're talking best player available, what is one example that you think personifies BPA for the Pittsburgh Steelers over the years? So I kind of, I kind of broke down the last eight drafts and, and I looked at who the Steelers drafted in the first round. And then I looked at what they had on the roster at that position at that time to sort of determine if this was a real need pick or if this was a true best player available pick. And then I kind of ranked them in terms of the ones which were the most need based to the least need-based, meaning the least need-based being the ones where they were more free to go after the best player available. And so clearly the one that ranks the top as the biggest need pick was Artie Burns. 
Uh, and then you kind of have some other picks in there. Devin Bush. Well, actually, Danny let's Mead. let's go ahead. Let's rank them. Go ahead. Go from eight to one. So in terms of in terms of, of pure need, I'm going from the, uh, you know, the first one being an absolute need pick and the eighth one being a, a, a situation when the Steelers were in best player available. Okay. I mean, Burns is your biggest need pick. And and as it turns out, is the weakest of, of all these picks. Uh, and then let you get last year. Najee Harris was a need pick, but at the same time, he was also a player who I think the Steelers probably had on their on their short list of best best players available in that in that framework. But in terms of pure need, right? You look at you, you look at what they had on the roster. James Conner was gone. They had Benny Snell. I mean, that's an empty an empty cupboard. So the need was huge. Um, the third one, you know, is, is Devin Bush. I mean, there, there was a huge need at that time. The linebackers, inside backers on the roster at the time were John Bostic, who hadn't worked out, uh, an aging Vince Williams, uh, and, uh, and Tyler Matakevich, who was, who was not really a, an every-down guy by any stretch of the imagination. So you had a, a huge need for Bush. So he's, he's sort of your third biggest need pick. And he's another guy who, you know, I'd be pretty surprised, honestly, if the Steelers – re-signed him when his rookie contract runs out. So he's another first-round pick. When you throw in the fact we traded up for him, maybe, you know, maybe not a great, a great overall choice. Um, then you get Terrell Edmonds, which is probably your next one in terms of need. The safeties at the time were Mike Mitchell, who the Steelers were not going to re-sign, uh, Sean Davis, who had not worked out, um, and Robert Golden, who's a career backup. So they had a significant need at the safety position. And again, you know, jury's out. Right. I mean, Edmonds was Edmonds, a valuable first round pick, like you mentioned earlier, second round guy. Sure. We're more happy with him, but maybe not a first. Um, and then you get, you know, the next one on the list would be Bud Dupree. Um, you know, the only the, our outside backers at, the, at that time were 30, 37 uh, year old James Harrison and Jason Worlds, who up and retired and left us without an edge rusher. So he went after Dupree and he turned into a nice player at the end of his contract. But probably wasn't as as good as people hoped would be through his his full five years and so that gets us to the last two guys i mean because i, I kind of skipped 2020 because we didn't have a first round pick and the last two guys on that list the two guys that we were able to take when we had the most freedom to go best player available were ryan shazier and tj watt and when you think about that and then you compare them to all those other guys you say wow when we've had the freedom to go best player available we've killed it um and and that's kind of exciting when you think about this year because we're looking at a situation this year where we really have a lot of freedom to go best player available let me jump in on uh i have so many thoughts from what you just said yeah i'm for, sorry i ran on there for a little oh while. no <laughs> oh no no it's it all wraps up it it needed to be this way so i'm glad you did it that way but with ryan shazier i you didn't know me back then and i wasn't involved with btsc at the time it was a, still another year when until I'd be involved with BTSC. And when that happened, I remember going on Facebook the next day, absolutely livid that they took Ryan Shazier. I wasn't mad about Ryan Shazier. I was more mad about the position. I was sure that they were going to go after a corner because they needed a corner. And Darquez Denard was there, and I thought he was going to be a stud. This is why I'm here and Kevin Colbert and company are in the war room because I don't know anything compared to what these guys do. And that 
I, it didn't take me long. It took me after minicamp. And I had a buddy say that I respect a whole heck of a lot says, Brian, that's a really good pick. Yeah. And then I'm watching, you know, stuff from minicamp and then training camp comes and his first home preseason game is against the Buffalo bills. He returns one for an interception. I'd be like, all right, I'm just going to shut up from now on. And I, I will remember that fully as, as where I decided to quit complaining. And now that I preach, don't worry about position, go after best player available when you can. The other thing I have to say about everything that you mentioned is this, Kevin, the Steelers are in great position right now to not have to be desperate in this draft. Now, in January, even in February, we were all saying, everybody, not just BTSC, everybody was saying that the Steelers need to do this draft right. They cannot screw up this draft. In fact, every pick almost has to be perfect is what we were saying at the time. Now, after what they did in free agency, it is a true BPA draft for the Steelers. They could they could build for 2022 with a rookie and build for beyond in the same draft. If you get a guy, if you decide to take a quarterback, which I've gone on a record where I'm, I'm not rooting for them to take a quarterback. I remember in 2004, I was hell bent on a quarterback and I was hell bent on Ben Roethlisberger, even though they were never going to get this guy because the giants were going to take him at number four. Little did I know that Eli Manning was going to cry about going to San Diego and change this whole thing. And that's exactly what happened. And I, I really can't, I mean, you know, that's been kind of documented, but this year they don't have to, they don't have to take that position and be desperate for it. If they take a quarterback this year, you might not even, you're not going to see that quarterback play probably. And that's a good thing. Cause we saw that with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas city. He, he started out and he started out hardly playing his entire rookie year, maybe having some spot duty here and there. And the next year comes out first game, throws about four touchdown passes. I'm taking my nephew to week two in Pat Mahomes starting year, not his rookie year, but his second year. And I said, he was asking me, how do you think, the Steelers are going to do. I said, well, it's a, it's a young quarterback and the Steelers usually do well against young quarterbacks. Yeah. He ignited for six touchdown passes against the Steelers and we had great seats in the end zone. And I saw a lot of those touchdown passes in my face. And once again, that was a situation where they did not have to be desperate when they made that pick. They were building for the future, and the future still looks bright in red and gold in Kansas City. So, Kevin, I kind of get the BPA, and I feel like BPA for the Steelers is kind of paramount this year because they can go so many different directions in this draft and get it right. Would you agree? Absolutely. That's what makes it exciting. When when you think back to kind of like what I, that, that list I was rattling off, with the exception of, of Harris, who certainly looks like he's going to be the real deal. 
the the more that the Steelers have felt compelled to fill a need, uh, the less production they've gotten from from the guy that they that they picked, and um, and then when you think about you, you gave the example of Shazier. I mean, the, the starting inside linebackers when they picked Shazier were were Vince Williams, who was a rookie, and had cut, and had really shown as a rookie that that he could play. Um, and then, and a you know, twenty-seven-year-old Lawrence Timmons. I mean, Lawrence Timmons in his prime. So you had Timmons in his prime, and you had Williams, who looked like a keeper. And they still went out and got Shays there, which was probably why you were so pissed, you know, because you you thought, oh, they didn't need that linebacker. But what they saw was the potential of what Shazier could add to the defense. The speed that he had was unlike any other player on the defense, and they thought to themselves he's a special guy and, and there's so much we can do with him uh, with what we already have. So it was sort of not, he wasn't there to really replace Timmons or uh, Vince Williams at first, but he was there to add to what they had. And so now when I think ahead to this draft, I think like for me, I've, you know, I've, I wrote an article about this and I, and I, I've really, I've really fallen. Everybody gets, has a draft crush, you know, that a guy that they uh, in previous years, you know, I've had, it was teach, t- Uh, sorry, I, I, TJ Hawkinson was my guy a few years ago. And, um, you know, there's always a guy, right? And this year for me, it's, it's Devontae Wyatt of Georgia because I think back on what the Steelers did with Shazier and I say to myself, boy, that's what they can do with Wyatt. They, the defensive front they have right now might, might be good enough for this year. You got three, hopefully, you know, veterans in Alu Alu and, and Hayward and, and to it. And then you got some, some decent backup pieces. Uh, and, and, and it might be good enough for this year, but big picture, what Devontae Wyatt can add to this defense uh, is, is so exciting. And they might say to themselves like, Hey, this might not be pressing need number one, but what he offers uh, is better than anybody else that we're going to get. And let's, let's make that pick. And that's exciting. For me, it's a guy that, well, I don't see him getting past the Washington commanders at number 11. It's Kyle Hamilton. It's not a pressing need to draft a safety. I think now there's been a lot of talk in Pittsburgh about them having to address the safety position, but that's more in free agency. But if you draft a guy like Kyle Hamilton, you put him in with Minka Fitzpatrick, you have stud safeties for the next 10 years, possibly. Yeah, that, I think that's the, the epitome of, best player available you, you see a guy like that some people have him going all the way up at number two um but you you see a guy like that and you think uh how much more dynamic can our defense be how much how much how how much can we change not really change but adapt our scheme to to what he brings to the table uh if we were able to get a guy like that and and uh how much better will we be for it i mean that that's the whole idea of best player available it's not necessarily looking at what you have right now and saying where does, you know, we need a piece to fit into exactly what we have. It's, it's sort of the opposite approach, acquiring a special piece and then adjusting your scheme to, uh, you know, fit the skill set that that guy has. Uh, and, and so when you already have a sound, like the Steelers already have a very sound defense. And if they can now get more complex by adding special talent, you know, think how, you know they, they kind of leap ahead. So you're right. Col- Colbert's got to have that vision. Uh, that a lot of us don't have where we think position and he thinks big picture. 
And that's exactly what he's going to do because that's what he has done. Now, everybody likes to throw out the B word, which is bust, but there's so very few of them since the, uh, the new millennium. So I figured let's have some fun with this. And you've, you've gone over the last eight drafts. Let's go back to 2000 and briefly talk about each one of these guys in our remaining five minutes here and talk about how the Steelers have fared with each one of these players. Well, very few will have a bust label, which that percentage is fantastic because not even the, uh, the Steelers would have a better ratio of good players to bad in the draft than the new England Patriots for that matter. They're one of the best drafting teams in the league last year there. They were the, they were deemed for the last 20 years, one of the best drafting teams in the, they were the best in the AFC and overall in the league, I think they were number three or four and something that came out last year. So if we go to 2000, it was Plexico Burris at number eight for the Steelers. That was kind of a need pick, but he was also considered a stud at the time as well. Would you agree that he was both need and BPA? Yeah, I loved that pick at the time. Oh, my God, I loved it. I had watched him in college at Michigan State absolutely torture Penn State in a game, and I just thought, oh, this kid is so special. So uh, he was he was special, <laughs> special, all right, although I don't know if he was special in the ways we needed him to be. So we're going to go to 2001 now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you just simply to say BPA, need, or both. Casey Hampton, this was a situation where the Steelers were supposed to pick at number 16. They traded down four spots with the New York Jets. The New York Jets took Santana Moss, and the Steelers definitely did not need Santana Moss because the year before, the two years before, they picked wide receivers, and they even took wide receiver Heinz Ward in 1998 at 3B. So they weren't going to go wide receiver then. And Casey Hampton is up and they feel compelled to go ahead and trade back. So what's your thoughts on big snack? Both? Was, I, think, I think he was both for sure. They were looking to replace, you know, Joel Steed had moved on and they, and they had not, you know, they didn't really have that fixture at nose. They were still playing the old school three, four. And, and he offered that. Um, and by, by moving back, they, they knew that they could still get a great player a little bit later and acquire some other resources. So he's both, I think. Now, I don't have to ask if he was a successful player. We know that. But I'm going to ask it for this next guy. Very late in the draft, in the first round, the Steelers had eyes in 2002 on Ed Reed, possibly, because they needed that safety but he went to the Baltimore Ravens. They were looking at some other guys. They end up picking, like I said, towards the bottom because they were the runners up in the AFC that year to the New England Patriots. They come away with Auburn's Kendall Simmons. He, he for me, was uh, both a need and a guy. I don't, I don't think he was the best player available on the, the big board, but I, so I think he probably for the Steelers filled more of a need. But the Steelers did have some luxury at the 30th pick. And I'm a, big, I'm a bigger Kendall Simmons fan than a lot of people. Uh, the bar was pretty high on the offensive line back then. But I look at it like this. If you plug Kendall Simmons uh, in his prime into the Steelers' offensive line right now, would, would you be happy with that? 
Absolutely. Yeah, me too. So I think he's, you know, I think he's a pretty good player who maybe he's a little undervalued by Steelers fans. We're going to go ahead and economize here and we're going to go 2003, 2004, and 2005 together. Safety, Troy Palomalu. Quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger. And tight end, Heath Miller. Uh, how about that run? How about that three-year run? Jeez. Yeah. Roethlisberger was the big need pick uh, out of those three. Definite need. Yeah. Um, Would you say Heath was a need? I think so. I think he was both. I'll be honest. I don't remember who the tight who were the tight ends on the roster were around 2005. Well, Matt, uh, Mark Bruner was gone. He was at this gone. Point. Yeah. Uh, you had Jay Reimersma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was yeah, and Jeremy Tooman. Okay, so that's a pretty big need pick. And to be it, able to get him at the end of, at the back of the draft like that is is fantastic. Back of the round. And Troy Polamalu. I guess you could consider safety a need pick in 2003. Yeah. Uh, did they trade up to get him? I can't yes, remember. They traded up about 10 spots because I believe they were 25 with, and they, they were talking about either a running back at that time. And Larry Johnson was the guy and they traded with the chiefs. The chiefs end up with Larry Johnson. Anyways, the guy, the Steelers would have probably gotten at that pick. And the Steelers ended up with the Hall of Famer. Yeah. You know, so, so you trade up for one of two reasons. You trade up either because you've got a huge need that you want to fill and you think that uh, you got to get to a certain spot to fill it. Or you trade up because you absolutely love a player. And I think with the Steelers, it was more – they did have a need, but I think it was more so they absolutely loved Troy Polamalu. Think about Dick LeBeau back then. Uh, you know, in essence, like his influence in, in that draft. Think about the conversations they must have had where LeBeau talked to uh, the staff and said, look at what we can do with this guy. I mean, the, 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 this guy will revolutionize our defense. Uh, though, you know, they had to know right away. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone up to get him. And, you know, when you go up to get a guy, you got to say that that's the best player available too. Yeah. Most of the time, if you're trading up to get a guy, then you're surprised that he's still there. So let's go ahead and take a look at 2006 and 2007 together. We're going to go ahead and look at Santonio Holmes. They traded up to get him. He was a wide receiver. They had just lost Antoine Randall L. I don't want to steal your thunder, but I'm going to say that he was BPA and a need. Yeah, I agree. Yep. 2007. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say, uh, and again, he's another guy that while he was here was extremely productive. And of course, every Steeler fan, uh, you know, will be eternally grateful to him for the, uh, the amazing catch in Super Bowl 43. Yes, 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 yes. Now, 2007 is an interesting one. Mike Tomlin's first ever pick for the Steelers. They're picking at 15. Now, they had their eyes on a different prize. And it was Pitt's very own Darrell Rivas. And he was going to be there for them. The Carolina Panthers were picking at 14, did not need him. The Jets were picking at 16 and needed him and wanted him and coveted him and made that trade to go ahead of Pittsburgh to take Darrell Rivas. The Steelers end up with Lawrence Timmons 
And this is this is funny. The, you're going to love this story. I was in an autograph signing where I was helping. I was working the autograph signing and I was and it was Ryan Clark and Anthony Smith, the safety. And they were we were in Cumberland, Maryland, and they were signing autographs. And I was working with Smith. I was taking the tickets and and telling telling the player what to sign or what their tickets say, so on and so forth. And I'm listening. I It's draft day and I'm listening. And Ryan Clark's like, they pick yet. I'm like, no, it's, it's coming up, man. I'll let you know. And I let him know. I like, Hey, they took the kid from Florida state Timmons. And he's like, yes, that's a great pick. And it's so awesome to hear Ryan Clark be excited about it. And when he's uh, this was just in this, he was only going into his second year as a Steeler. So that was really interesting to me. That's just a fun story that I like to tell. And when I told him that he was like, all right, here we go. That's an awesome pick. So this is interesting though. Kevin, was he the best player available available? And they weren't really looking at linebacker at the time. Yes, I absolutely think so. I think that they, uh, they, saw an opportunity once that once they moved on from Revis uh, saw an opportunity to get a guy, maybe that, that they didn't think that they'd be able to get, but that, again, said to themselves, he's going to be a great fit. Cause that's you had Larry. Story. That's a great story by Clark. Yeah. That's a great story about Clark, by the way. Oh yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I almost forgot about it until we started talking about that draft. I'll always think about Timmons and Clark, but you have Larry foot and you have James Ferrier. Right. Right. So again, you know, what, you know, what are they doing? They're, they're acquiring, talent at a position uh, where they're where they're solid but they're essentially saying to themselves we're going to figure out how to use this talent we're going to figure out how to get those three backers on the field or you know to keep two of them fresh you know strengthening an already strong position it can be a really beneficial move and how could i be upset when one of the steelers is sitting right next to me saying all right that's awesome you know, yeah. I mean, I got to yeah. trust that they know what they're talking about. Yeah. So, and you know, Kevin, I could tell you where I was for every single draft since 1987. That's a good memory because I couldn't tell you what I had for lunch some days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is how much I love the draft. And yeah. I, I might, and this is, you know, breaking down the fourth wall, but I kind of don't love, the, I love the draft. Trust me. I don't enjoy the draft the same way though the past couple of years because now I'm scrambling and working and trying to get shows out as soon as they pick. Cause BTSC has amazing draft coverage. If you don't mind me saying, cause I really think we do. Um, but as being a part of that coverage, I'm not enjoying it. And as much because I'm working and I'm trying to get as much information as I possibly can and not, listening to what they're saying on either NFL network or ESPN. I'm, I'm going and just compiling information and scheduling shows and getting guys ready to run. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the draft is definitely a grind at this point. Uh, I've learned just to, I think in the two years I've been writing for the site, the two drafts that I've worked through uh, that, that when it's all, when, when kind of the dust settles, you, you get a chance to sort of sit back and really, think about what they've done which is which is how i used to love i used to love the process stuff as the draft was happening you, you take that first pick and now oh, i got a day to think about this and 
um, yeah, so I, I enjoyed that part of it, sort of the reflection. And, you know, you're going to hear all of us say that, but we are blessed and thrilled to be having this problem, to uh, be working and doing something and talking about something we love. But it's just a tiresome weekend where we need a break and a nap and some of us need a drink. <laughs> yeah, and it's just it's just different. You know, you know, it's not it's not necessarily worse. It's just it's just a different reality now and you know you, you sort of we we had our traditions and we had our, our routines and now we, we have a new one and that and this new one's very very rewarding too oh it, it surely is so the next two drafts we're going to talk about are probably they're not the best players um because of the uh because of how they turned out they were not horrible picks and so we're going to go to 2008 and it's Richard Mendenhall, the running back. Right. So uh, I think I think Mendenhall's pick was a little. I don't know if it was surprising at the time. I think I I remember I remember the story that the Steelers had where where they hadn't even like done a pre-draft visit with him. They they had he was so far up on their board and they just thought that they had absolutely no chance of drafting him whatsoever that when he was available, they ran and got him without really having done this, the, the, the legwork that they do on, on most, on most uh, draft uh, candidates because they thought they had no shot at him. And that was really an interesting story because when you look on his, at his career, he had, he had a different personality and and he he got in some hot water with some of the things that he said, uh, and then you know forget the fumble against Green Bay in the Super Bowl. But um, I, I want it would have been very interesting to see if the Steelers had gone through the old whole, the pre-draft process with him the way that they usually do. Would there have been any red flags or anything that scared them off? Because he wound up having a decent career in Pittsburgh, but he's remembered more for the negative than the positive. You know, it's funny about Mendenhall, and we have only a, a few more minutes left. I'm just going to say this quick. He is, is a very intelligent human being, very smart man. He uh, ended up on the Dwayne Johnson show Ballers as a writer. And it started out as a football, uh, yeah, he was a football analyst and, uh, and a counselor to, to show them the reality of what players go through and everything on that show. Great show if you've never watched it. Um, but he was also one that looked at life in a completely different direction. And after the, uh, after the whole Osama bin Laden assassination, you know, he was thinking a whole lot different than a lot of people were. And one of his, one of his reasonings for the whole thing is I'm trying to make you think in a different way where a lot of people, when you're talking about, when you, when you're talking about uh, American pride and the atrocities that happened with that, you know, his, him challenging that was not what people wanted to hear. Absolutely. Right. And I don't, I don't have any issue with him being a cerebral individual, but uh, not being able to read the room was a, a big mistake that, that he made, you know? And, and I he think just, he did that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's blow through the next, uh, the next few you've got 2009 Ziggy hood. 
2010 Marquise Pouncey, 2011, we've got Cam Hayward, who's still on the team, and that was the 31st pick in the draft. And then you've got, well, let's let's talk about those real quick. So real quick, because you're going to say the next one is David DeCastro. Yeah, what's let's what's throw him in. Yeah, what's interesting there is, you go Hood, Pouncey, Hayward, DeCastro. You go four linemen with your number one pick in a clear uh, evidence that the Steelers are trying to rebuild up front after the two the Super Bowl teams from 2005, 2008, and even to a degree that 2011 team were, had gotten a little little long in the tooth and, and, and a lot of the linemen were moving out and, and the Steelers were bringing in new young linemen. And they had a lot of success. I mean, three out of those four players are, are – you know, sort of all-time Pittsburgh Steeler type guys, DeCastro and Pouncey and, and Hayward. Um, but it's interesting, too, because this is something the Steelers have not done. Uh, they haven't drafted a lineman on the offensive or defensive side of the ball in the first round uh, since they drafted DeCastro. And, and that's really interesting because you look at, at, at again, this idea of play, need versus best player available – it, it feels like the Steelers have had some need up front on the line, especially in the last few years, but that they've sort of stayed away from drafting in that direction. So maybe their best player available list is, is a lot more heavy on skill players. Well, you can also think that the best player available at the time when they took Pouncey was also a need. They needed it. They needed that player. I would say the two defensive linemen hood in nine and Hayward in 11 they were very late picks because one was right after you won the Super Bowl. The other was right after you lost the Super Bowl. So you're picking late. And a lot of times that is really less of need and more of, you know, the right guy at uh, maybe the best player for them at the time. I got to tell you, I don't even, I didn't know much about hood going into it. I knew about Hayward, but I didn't know about hood DeCastro, That was a need. Everybody knew they needed it. It was either him or another need Dante Hightower, and they decided they watched this guy drop into Castro, and it wasn't, I mean, he ended up being a great player for this team. The final guy that we're going to talk about is Jarvis Jones, and 2013 draft was a really bad first round for most of the NFL. Yeah, and Jarvis Jones was surprising. I, I really thought he would translate to a better NFL edge rusher. Uh, I mean, he, he was a very, very good player at Georgia and, a, and an experienced guy. And the Steelers had a need and he seemed to fit it. He seemed to be a, a, a great three, four. He uh, outside backer. He's a guy that was really strong against the, the run and could set the edge. And you just thought that 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 his pass rushing skills that he learned at, in the SEC would translate to the NFL. And they didn't. So that's a miss really on their part. Uh, but a miss that I think is un- understandable because everything seemed to indicate he was going to be a very good player. Absolutely. So Kevin, we had a lot of fun with best player available. I appreciate all of that. I appreciate you breaking it down. And we really had some healing as you and I got to talk for the first time about the Dwayne Haskins tragedy as well. So it was a tale of two halves here. And if you're a Steeler fan, you know a lot about tale of two halves where 2021 seemed to be good half, bad half. So this was along the same lines. We had more of a somber first half. 
a, uh, a very vibrant second half. So I appreciate all of your analysis. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you too, Brian. And again, happy anniversary, man. Hope you and your wife have a, have a great night. All right. Thanks. I am going to go hang out with not her, but Dave (laughs) and Jeff who they're waiting in the wings for me. So I'm going to get ready to go, but I will make it count. Trust me when, when I get off the show with them, but man, I really appreciate it next week. We are going to be talking about the countdown to the draft as it's only going to be seven days away, but you need to check out behind the still curtain. It's already up there. What Ian's talking about. Great show today with Kyle and Greg coming up at 5 a.m. on Friday morning. You're going to hear from Jeff Hartman and let's ride. It is going to be a spectacular show as well. You also have a double dose of YouTube on Friday night with Tony Defio doing the six pack. And you're going to have touchdown under with the boys from Australia, Maddie P, Marky D. It's BTSC's very own boy band. But for Kevin Smith, my name is Brian Anthony Davis. Thank you so much for indulging in us and letting us take you through our preview of the BPA, the legendary best player available. Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for those hypocycloids. Hypocycloids.